We don't grasp God's graciousness because we live in a world that's anything but gracious. This message is the first in the series, One Thing Changes Everything. The message is entitled, Grace Equals Undeserved Goodness. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, if you will, as we turn our attention to God's Word today with a brand new series of messages that will take us to the Easter season. Actually, it'll take us through Palm Sunday, preparing for Easter. Just a quick reminder to make sure to start preparing for Easter with uh, outreaching to family and friends and coworkers to invite them to come for one of our presentations. I will have 10 presentations during the week of Easter of the story of Jesus as alive. It's a tremendous, dramatic presentation. You don't want to miss that and bring someone with you. And also on the Easter weekend, on Easter services at our various campuses, encourage you to be a part of one of those services as well. and invites folks to be a part of that also. We're going to talk for the next several weeks about, I think, the, one of the most significant things you'll ever learn about in Scripture. I've entitled this series, One Thing Changes Everything. And that one thing that changes everything that we'll be looking at for the next five weeks today and four more weeks following uh, together will be a topic that I'm sure that if you've been around Christian circles for any length of time or the study of the Bible at all, you'll recognize the word, and the word is grace. Grace is a key concept in the Bible. In fact, if I were to ask you what are the most important things for a Christian to understand, some folks might say, well, faith is the most important thing, and indeed faith is important. The Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God, and some folks might say that obedience is the most important thing, obedience to God, and certainly it is extremely important that we obey God because that's where our blessings are found in life. But really, when we come to the central theme of the Bible, far more than we realize, the real central theme of the Bible, although it includes faith, very important, and certainly includes obedience, which is very important, the central theme of the Bible is actually the theme of grace. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, in fact, we find this concept of grace in the Bible. After Adam and Eve sinned, you find the record of that in Genesis chapter 3, and they're, they've distanced themselves from God, and they're no longer able to enter into intimate relationship uh, with one another. They have fear and shame in their life. God shows up on the scene, and God says something to them. He says, all of this is going to be reversed one day. I'm paraphrasing here. He says, because there's, there's going to be the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, speaking of Satan. And in that moment... God Almighty speaks into a garden where, where two people have fallen prey to sin, and God says, I'm going to redeem you. I have a promise of grace for your life. There's a way out of the mess that you've gotten yourself into. So grace is this wonderful concept, and the concept of grace really is tied into the very nature of Almighty God. And we all oftentimes as, as human beings have a hard time comprehending grace because grace is not something we're very familiar with in human circles. Very seldom do you find people being gracious to you. Very seldom do you find it easy to be gracious to other people. So grace is not something that is natural to us in our selfish and sinful world. And because of our brokenness in our own hearts and lives, we find it difficult to experience grace. And we find it difficult oftentimes to extend grace to people around us. And so because of that, we have a hard time really comprehending the grace of God. We don't know what it's like because we don't get much of it in our world. And so we have to come back to the reality of what grace is from God's perspective, the Bible's perspective, but more than just knowing what grace is, we need to understand how to experience in our lives. 
You know, I could stand back and describe a beautiful meal for you. We could lay out a beautiful meal on this table, and I could take pictures of it and tell you how lovely it was, but the meal is not of any real value to you until you, until you taste it, until you really begin to eat of it and, and participate in it. The same is true with grace. I can stand back as a Bible teacher, as a maybe somewhat of a slight theologian, I might say, to describe for you what grace is all about, but really grace is not meant to just be looked at. Grace is meant to be experienced. God wants you to sink your teeth into this thing called grace so it's more than a concept, an idea to you. He wants you to experience his grace in your life. Everything begins and ends with grace when it comes to God. Now, grace is tied in to the very nature of God. I want to talk to you about this nature of God because you can't understand this, this meal called grace, this beautiful thing called grace until you understand where it's coming from. And we have the grace of God because God is good. Would you say that with me? God is good. And because he's good, he's gracious. He's gracious because goodness is a part of his nature and a part of his character. And so you see this theme of grace running all through the Bible because it is tied to his goodness. Let me give you a few examples of this in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, notice these words, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In Genesis 21, verse 1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. This is Abraham's wife. And as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Psalm 103, verse number 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so we see this idea of grace running all through the pages of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. It is given to us, and then we understand that that grace comes to us by the goodness of God. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good, because He's good. He's gracious. Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good, speaking of God, and do only good. Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And then Jesus speaks these words in Matthew 7, verse number 11, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So we see that the good gifts of God come from the good nature of God. God's grace is demonstrated to us in the fact that he has and extends to us undeserved goodness. If I were to define grace for you this morning as we're starting this series together, really grace starts with an understanding of God's undeserved goodness in your life. Because God is gracious, he undeservedly gives goodness to you. It flows into our hearts and lives. So can I share with you for the next few moments four things that we're undeserving of but God nevertheless still shows his goodness toward us in four aspects of this. Number one, God's grace and goodness bring undeserved blessings into your life. Undeserved means that you cannot earn it. There's no way that you can pay enough for it or be good enough for it or earn it in any way, any measure, any form. It is an undeserved demonstration of God's goodness in the fact that he brings blessing into your life. Think about it for a moment with me this morning. Where would you be today without the grace of God? Where would you be today without the undeserved blessings of God in your life? Do you think for a moment that you really deserve all the blessings you've experienced in life? 
Do you think for a moment that you've been good enough or you've worked hard enough or you've had so many wonderful things that you've demonstrated in your life that could have earned you all the good things that God has brought to you? Now, we've all had our challenges and our trials and tribulations for sure, but when you look at your life, there's a lot of goodness in your life that you can't credit yourself for. The only way you can describe those goodness, those, those points of goodness and blessing is the fact that God has been good to you even though you have not deserved it. Jeremiah, the prophet, speaks of this in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Listen to what he says. Because of the Lord's great love, that's his grace, his goodness, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Jeremiah says, had it not been for the goodness of God and the grace of God and the love of God, we would have been consumed. Paul speaks of it this way in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, when he's talking about relationship with God. He says, in him, for in him we live and move and exist. The old translation says, in him we live and move and have our being in God. So just the fact that we're living and moving and having a being and existence can be attributed to the fact that God has been good to us in his grace and his kindness. We don't deserve it. Think about in your life how many times you failed God. How many times have you sinned against God? How many times have you ignored God? How many times have you walked away from God? How many times have you even perhaps cursed God? And yet God has still been good to you. Undeserved goodness. God's grace and goodness bring undeserved blessings to us. It brings undeserved blessings to you. Number two, the second thing. God's grace and goodness bring undeserved help in your life. God's grace, his goodness has helped you many more times than you can imagine. He's helped you when you didn't deserve his help. Let me share with you two aspects. Say with me these words, mistakes and messes. Mistakes and messes. In your life, you have had moments where you were about to make a major mistake and God stepped in and spared you from something in your life that could have been really destructive to your life. Would you agree, agree with me this morning? That you're about to do something and step into a situation or make a decision that could have been very, very detrimental to your existence, to your relationships, to vital, to many aspects of life. And God spared you because he reached out and helped you avoid a mistake that could have been very difficult for your life. And then on the other side of things, there have been times that you've made mistakes. And in the midst of those mistakes, God has shown his redemptive power. We're going to talk more about that next week. And then sometimes your mistakes has gotten you into far more than just a mistake. It's gotten you into a mess. Anybody had a messed up life before? Messed up situation where now I made a mistake and now it's a mess and what am I going to do? And God graciously steps into those mistakes and messes of life and he, he helps you when you cannot help yourself in an undeserved manner. You did not deserve his help, nor did I, but he comes in and he helps us in these moments. So one of the, demonstra one of the dimensions of God's grace and his goodness is he steps in and in an undeserved way helps us. Let me take you to Psalm 107. I'm going to read you a very fascinating passage of scripture that describes three groups of people that got themselves into some messes and how God helped them. And I think that as a part of reading this, it'll be a wonderful time for us to give praise to God for what he's done in our lives. Psalm 107, verse, beginning in verse number four. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Here's the first group. Some of us, that's group number one, some of us wandered in the wilderness like desert nomads with no true direction or dwelling place. Here's a group of people that had lived an aimless life, wandering around, no sense of purpose, no sense of goals for their life. They were just wandering through life aimlessly. And notice verse number two, or no, number five, I should say. Here's what happened. Starving, 
thirsting, staggering. We became desperate and filled with despair. So they're wandering around aimlessly. And the result of that is they get to a place where they don't have enough food and they're thirsty and they're staggering and they're desperate and they're filled up with despair. Maybe you can identify with being in a place like that in your life. Notice verse number six. Then we, that's this group of people that's being described here, we cried out, Lord, help us. Rescue us. And he did he led us right into a, safe, a, place, a place of safety and abundance, a suitable city to dwell in. So lift your hands and thank God for his marvelous kindness and for all of his miracles of mercy for those he loves, how he satisfies the souls of thirsty ones and fills the hungry with all that is good. Here's God stepping in to a group of people who were living an aimless life that got to a place of staggering around with, with desperation and despair, and they cried out to God, God help us, God rescue us, and God came and did for them what they did not deserve for him to do. And notice the response God calls, so lift your hands and thank God for his marvelous kindness. I think it would be a good thing right now if we did that very thing. Would you lift your hands and thank God for his marvelous kindness in your life? Amen? Okay. Let's go to the second group of people. Here's the second group. See if you, you can identify with this group. Some of us, this is group number two, some of us once sat in darkness, living in the dark shadows of death. We were prisoners to our pain, chained to our regrets. Have you ever been a prisoner to your pain? Have you ever been chained to regrets? All you could see was what was behind you and the things of life that you regretted. Has that ever happened in your life? For we rebelled against God's word and rejected the wise counsel of God most high. So he humbled us through our circumstances, watching us as we stumble with no one there to pick us back up. Our own pain became our punishment. So here we are in pain, and that pain is punishing us. And then we cried out. What was the cry? Lord, help us. Rescue us. And he did. His light broke through the darkness. He led us out in freedom from death's dark shadow and snapped every one of our chains. So lift your hands and give thanks to God for his marvelous kindness, for his miracles of mercy, for those he loves. That's grace. That's undeserved favor from God. For he smashed through heavy prison doors and shattered the steel bars that held us back just to set us free. Don't you love that? That's what God does out of his grace. He helps you. He helps me when we don't deserve it, when we're wandering aimlessly through life or when we're a prisoner to our pain and chained to our regrets. God comes in, we cry out, and he undeservingly helps us in our, in our pain. Number three, here's the third group. Some of us were such fools. Can I get a good amen right there, okay? Some of us were such fools, bringing on ourselves sorrow and suffering, all because of our sins. Sick and feeble, unable to stand the sight of food, we drew near to the gates of death. Then we cried out, Lord, help us, rescue us. And he, you notice the similarity of all three of these groups? When they got to the end of themselves, they prayed the prayer, Lord, help us, rescue us. And the response, three little words that are extremely powerful, and he did. God spoke the words, be healed, and we were healed, delivered from death's door. So lift your hands and give thanks to God for his marvelous kindness, for his miracles of mercy for those he loves. Bring your praise as an offering and your thanks as a sacrifice as you sing your story of miracles with a joyful song. 
See, we see in all these situations a God who steps in and rescues. All of these folks were in terrible trouble in their lives. They didn't deserve help, but God helped them even in the midst of their undeserved situation. And the same is true. This is not just a group of people in the Bible. This is you and me. It represents every one of us. So we have to pause and give praise to God for his undeserved help in our lives. Number three, the third thing that I'd like to share with you this morning about the undeserved goodness of God, which is what grace is all about, is that God's grace and goodness bring undeserved forgiveness and acceptance. God's forgiveness and God's acceptance are never earnable. You cannot earn the forgiveness of God and you cannot earn the acceptance of God. Nothing you can do to get those from God. I'll explain to you why. Because when you and I sin against God, we offend God, right? Would you agree that sin is an offense against God? Everybody agree with that, right? We offend him. We hurt him. Okay. Let's go to the natural world for a moment. In the natural world of relationships, sometimes we get hurt by other people. And when we're hurt by other people, we will often say, I am offended, right? I'm offended by what you did to me. I feel the pain in my life because of what you said or what you did. So just like God is offended when we sin, we are often offended by the sins of people around us, the things that they do that harm us in some way. Now, when you are offended by someone, you have to make a choice as to what you're going to do. You choose to either forgive and you can't, a person can't demand forgiveness from you. When you've offended someone, it's their choice as to whether they're going to forgive you or not, right? You don't deserve it. You've hurt them in some way. And so they've got to make a choice as to what they're going to do toward you. And so it's not a matter of earning their forgiveness. It's a matter of choice on their part as to whether they will forgive you or not. Well, the same is true with God, that when we sin against God or we offend God, God chooses a response. He chooses to respond to us in certain ways. And his choice, although we don't deserve it, when we come to him and ask him for forgiveness, his choice is to forgive us. So to be forgiven by God and accepted by God, our only hope is God's grace and God's goodness. You can't expect to say, okay, God, you got to forgive me. No, God doesn't have to forgive you. God does not have to forgive anyone. God makes a choice to forgive when we come to him, and it's extremely important that we, we, we give our thanks to God for the fact that he is willing to actually give us what we don't deserve, forgiveness and acceptance. I want to take you to an Old Testament story and describe a human interaction that we all apply to God's interaction with us. And the story is about an Old Testament character by the name of Joseph. Anyone remember Joseph in the Old Testament? His story starts in Genesis chapter 37, and so if you want to go back home this week and read the story of Joseph, that's the place to go to, Genesis 37 and following. But here's what happened. Joseph was the son of a man by the name of Jacob, and Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And so you have Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph was one of Jacob's sons. Jacob loved Joseph dearly. He was his favorite son. He made a coat of many colors for him, and And Joseph, at 17 years of age, had this incredible dream that one day he's going to be a ruler. And so he shares his dream with his brothers and his father, and they become very jealous of him. And so the first opportunity they had, they they, they decided they were going to take Joseph out. They actually had a plan to kill Joseph. But one of the brothers stood in as an intermediary for that plan, and instead of killing Joseph, they sold him into slavery, and he was taken down to Egypt, where he becomes a slave in the house of a man by the name of Potiphar. 
He does well in Potiphar's house for a period of time, and he's very successful there. God blesses him with favor, but then there's this moment when, when Joseph is falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife, and of course, Potiphar then responds by having Joseph put in prison. So Joseph goes into prison for somewhere around a decade. He's in an Egyptian prison, actually the prison for Pharaoh's criminals, and he's there in that prison situation, and over time he gains favor there and has a, has a positive experience in prison, but he's still in prison. He's still there, and one day Pharaoh has a dream, and he needs someone to interpret it, and there are those in his court that said, there's a guy in, in prison by the name of Joseph. He's a Hebrew, but he, he knows he has a relationship with God, and he knows how to interpret dreams, and so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and Joseph came into his courts, and certainly as, as Pharaoh shared his dream, Joseph interpreted the dream, and the dream basically was this. There's going to be seven years of great blessing, a lot of, a lot of surplus food, and then after that, there'll be seven years of famine, and Pharaoh, what you need to do is store up now in these, these, these wonderful years of, of bounty, store up everything that's necessary for the seven years of famine that's coming, and Pharaoh was so impressed that he says, Joseph, you're going to be my man to do this. So Joseph was immediately taken from the prison to the palace. It's an incredible story of the favor of God upon Joseph's life. So follow me now on this story. Now, seven years, there's plenty. The crops are producing like crazy and, I mean, a great harvest. And Joseph is a wise administrator. He begins to store up the food because he knows that seven years of famine are coming. So he stores up all this food over those seven years. And finally, that seven years of plenty have come to an end. And now they enter into seven years of famine, just like the prophecy foretold. And Joseph now is, is dishing out the food. He's, he's, he's actually making sure everybody gets the food in accordance with their needs. And the entire territory around Egypt is in a famine. And during this period of time, his brothers and his father were back at home in Israel. And, and they're facing the famine as well. There's no more food for them because the entire territory had been affected by this, this terrible drought, this terrible famine. And so finally... These brothers of Joseph, thinking that Joseph now is dead or certainly in slavery somewhere, they say, you know, we need to find some food. The only place there's food is in Egypt. Let's go down to Egypt and see if we can get some food there. And so they do, and they show up, and guess where they're directed? They're directed to have a conversation with the brother they'd sold into slavery. Pretty interesting, right? So they come into to Joseph's courts, and they're there to appeal to him for some food, but they don't know that it's they don't know that that's his brother. Joseph recognizes them, but he, they don't recognize him. And so it's a situation where Joseph is aware, but they're not. And so there's a process of things that occur, and Joseph begins to give food to them. And finally, over a period of time, Joseph's father passed away. And we come to a very critical point that's recorded in Genesis chapter 50. I want, I'm talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about acceptance. I'm talking about grace. Now, notice what happens here after Joseph's father was dead, and notice their brother's situation now as it arises in Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph, now by this time they knew who Joseph was and that, that he was their brother, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Would you think that's a pretty legitimate question? Dad's out of the way, and there's nothing buffering Joseph from taking revenge upon us now, holding a grudge against us. And what if Joseph does this now? What if he treats us based upon how we've treated him? So they sent word to Joseph. I love this part of the story. 
because it's most likely not exactly what they did, but they're, they're kind of uh, weaving a tale to get themselves out of trouble. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. I'm not sure that Jacob really left these instructions, but notice what they say. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of of the God of your father. When this message came to him, that's to Joseph, Joseph wept. So here's the story. They sent a message. They didn't even go to Joseph. They sent a message. Daddy said to forgive us. Daddy said, don't take this out on us anymore. Daddy said, make sure that we're treated kindly. Daddy said... And Joseph gets this message, and you would think that, at least for most of us, the natural response would have been, no, I don't believe this. And second of all, I'm going to pay you back what you did. This is my moment now to get everything even. Everything that you've done wrong to me, I'm going to make it even now by getting back at you. It was a very significant moment of a potential retribution to Joseph's brothers. Notice verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And notice this, he reassured them and spoke how? Kindly to them. I will tell you, that's grace right there. That's grace. Joseph had every reason to hold a grudge and to seek retribution to his brothers, but instead he said, you know what? I'm going to treat you the way God treats me. I'm going to treat you in the way that God has demonstrated his kindness to me. He's been gracious to me, and you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good, and so I'm going to extend to you the very same thing that God has extended to me. I'm going to extend to you grace. It's truly a picture of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God revealing the nature of God to us. Joseph became a picture of grace, and here's the thing I want you to know today. That when you and I make mistakes and we've missed the heart of God and we've offended God, we can come and throw ourselves down before God and say, God, I'm begging you for forgiveness. I need you to forgive me. I'm asking for your forgiveness. And in that moment, you can be assured that even greater than Joseph, God will treat you in responding to your cry of forgiveness. And he blesses you even when you don't deserve it. He gives you not only mercy, he gives you grace. I'm going to talk for the next several weeks about the difference between mercy and grace. You'll hear me say this multiple times. Let me give you the definition right now. Mercy is withholding from someone the punishment they deserve. That's all mercy is. When you plead for mercy, you're pleading for someone to withhold from you what you rightfully deserve. Grace is different. They're, they're, they're complementary terms, but they have a, bit, a little bit different uh, idiosyncrasy to them. Grace is giving someone something good that they don't deserve. Let's put it in natural terms. You have a child that disobeys and they're pleading for mercy that you're not going to put them in the corner or give them time out. Oh, daddy, mommy, please don't do this to me. And mercy says, okay, I'll withhold the punishment from you. I'll let you go this time. That's mercy, right? But grace says, and by the way, not only am I going to withhold the punishment from you, let's go get an ice cream cone. That's grace. It's blessing in ways that are not deserved. So this is what God does for you and me. He's a gracious God. He forgives and he accepts. It's very interesting when you go to the book of Matthew. Everybody still with me this morning? Don't you love the grace of God? When you go to the book of Matthew 
In the first chapter of the book of Matthew, there's the description of Jesus' genealogy through his mother Mary. Okay? Obviously, he didn't have a genealogy from his father because his father was God. So there's a genealogy in the Bible from his mother Mary. And there's not, not all the names of the genealogy, just critical names that are listed in this genealogy of Jesus. You can read it in Matthew chapter 1. And it's interesting that when you study the genealogy of Jesus, the names that are included in the genealogy of Jesus. Think for a moment. If you were going to write just a few of the names of, of where you came from, your lineage, okay? If you're like me, I'd probably find the most significant people in my past. I would add them in my list, okay, right? The most successful people, I'm probably not going to include in that list my crazy uncle. How about you? Right, okay? I want the best list possible to show that I'm from a good line. I'm a good heritage, right? And so I want you to see me at my best because this is the line that I came from. I've got, I've got significant people in my heritage. But when it comes to the heritage of Jesus, it's quite interesting some of the people that are included. Can I tell you for a few, uh, for a few moments, four of the people that are included, of all the people that could have been included in the lineage of, of Jesus, let me just show you some of the ones that God decided to include. Let me start with a lady by the name of Tamar. She's included in the lineage of Jesus. Anybody remember Tamar? You can find her story in Genesis chapter 38. But Tamar actually, uh, one day she dressed up like a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law and a child by him. Now, would you include that in the lineage? Not likely. Let's go to a second one. How about Rahab? Anybody remember Rahab? Rahab was a harlot. She was a prostitute in Jericho. When, when, when Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to spy out the land, it was to her house that they went. Why did they go to Rahab's house? Because everybody went, came and went from Rahab's house. Okay. There's no question about who's going to be at Rahab. I mean, they never thought anything about it. She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. So people are always coming and going from Rahab's house. But they made a covenant with Rahab. Rahab said, I'm going to take care of you and protect you. And, and the two spies said, okay, here's what we're going to do for you. When we come in and take the city of Jericho, if you'll just drop a scarlet cord out of your window, your promise that you'll be secure, that scarlet cord represented the blood of Jesus Christ that redeemed her from destruction. So Rahab put her faith in God. And now you see not only Tamar, one that dressed up like a prostitute and, 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 and sinned against God, who came back to God, and also Rahab, who had a similar experience in her life of messing up, but nevertheless being redeemed. And then let's take a look at the third person. Anybody remember Ruth? Ruth was not even an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. And the Moabites came from the son named Moab, who was born to Lot and an incestuous, incestuous relationship with his daughter. And so now here is Ruth that is included in the lineage of Jesus Christ, even though she came from outside of the land of Israel, outside of the people of God. And let me give you one more. Here, these are included in the lineage of Jesus, Bathsheba. Anybody remember Bathsheba? Bathsheba sinned against God with David in adultery. And here you see how God's grace, of all the people he could put out, put on that list and showcase to the world and said, this is the lineage. He pulled out Tamar and he pulled out Rahab and he pulled out Ruth and he pulled out Bathsheba. Why? Because he said, I don't just look at the good people. I don't look at the perfect people. My grace redeems everybody. Okay. So there you see in that story the fact that 
You might look at your life and say, I have really messed up and God could never forgive me and God could never accept me. If God could accept Tamar and bring her into the kingdom by grace, if God could accept Rahab and bring her into the kingdom by grace, if God could accept Ruth and bring her into the kingdom by grace, if God could accept Bathsheba and bring her into the kingdom by grace, God can reach out through his grace and bring you in as well. He's a forgiving and he's a gracious God. And we know his graciousness and his forgiveness by the fact that he forgives. He accepts us. Ephesians chapter, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Can we pause for a moment and give God praise for his grace and goodness? Can we do that together, folks? Okay. Last thing today. Are you starting to taste, not just talk about, but are you starting to taste the meal called the grace of God? Number four, God's grace and goodness made the way for undeserved salvation and undeserved eternal life. The most important thing that we have in, our, in an expression of God's grace to us is his salvation and eternal life. I want you to think about it this way for a moment. I'm going to give you an analogy that will be far weak, extremely weak compared to the gift of salvation and eternal life. It'll help you have a little bit of a parallel in the human realm to kind of bring it over to the spiritual realm for a moment. Let's say that there's an event that you really want to go to. It's a really significant event, maybe a, a person that you, you want to be in the presence of or an event where you really have always wanted to go, maybe a concert with your favorite artist or something that just really dear and very passionate you would feel about going and attending. But you realize that this is a ticketed event and the cost of the tickets go far beyond anything that you could ever afford. In multiple lifetimes, you would never have enough money to be able to go to that event. And so you just live with this longing for it, but no ability to get it. And then someone comes along and they, they, they pull you to the side and say, you know what, I know that you're longing for this event. You want to go there and, and you can't afford it. You'll never be able to afford it, but, but I'm going to give to you tickets for this event. I'm not charging you anything at all. It's completely free, and, and, and it's your, my gift to you. And let's add another dimension to the story. Let's say that this person who is offering these gifts to you is someone that you've mistreated all your life, someone that you've rejected, someone that you've pushed away, someone you've been cruel to. You've never been, a, you've never been nice to them a day in your life, but there they are offering you the very thing that you're longing for, and there's no charge for it. It's a completely free gift to you. And you have the choice of whether to accept it or not, Realizing all the time that you really don't deserve it because of the way you've treated them. That's a very limited and very weak analogy based upon what Jesus did for us. But you and I have rejected God and we've cursed God and we've ignored God and we've walked away from God. And we've never been in good relationship with God for most of our days because we are sinners. And so we, we face this desire for a relationship with God, a desire for eternity. Because the Bible says that God has put eternity into the heart of every man. He desires it. Okay. There's a God-shaped hole in every heart that we long for a relationship with our Creator. But we know that we can never have it ourselves. We can't purchase this. We don't have the resources to get the very thing that we long for. 
And God looked down upon us in such love and such grace. He said, you know what? I know that they want a relationship with me and I want a relationship with them, but we've got to make this thing right. And the only way that they can get to me is I've got to pay the price for them. I've got to buy their ticket. I've got to redeem them. I've got to save them from their sins so that they can get the very thing their hearts are longing for. And that's what the death of Jesus was all about. He came down and died on the cross and in doing so, he bought our ticket. Okay. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. And then he comes to us as the resurrected Savior, because death could not hold him. He, he, he comes up out of the grave, and now he comes to us by his Spirit, and he, he says, you know what, that, that thing that's in your heart, that desire for a relationship with me, you may not even know that that's there, but it's in your heart, and that longing for eternity with me, I, I want to offer you what you could never buy. Okay? I want to give to you what you could never afford. In a million lifetimes, a billion lifetimes, you could, never, you could never purchase this from me, but I'm going to give it to you as a free gift to you if you're willing to accept it. And that's what grace is all about. It's the grace of salvation. It's the grace that we have for the, not only the forgiveness of our sins, but the beautiful gift of eternal life, that we can have the assurance that we will spend eternity with God. It's an incredible thing. I want to conclude today by reading you a passage of Scripture that describes this beautiful gift that God offers to you and me. It's found in Ephesians chapter two, the first nine verses. I'm gonna read it slowly. I want it to sink into your heart and your life today as we're wrapping up today's message. Listen closely and apply it to your life. Once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins. You went along with the crowd and were just like all the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air who is at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. All of us used to be just as they are, our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions, our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and we're under God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead, only by his undeserved favor. That's called grace. I'm reading from the Living Bible a paraphrase. So when you see that phrase, undeserved favor, it represents us the word that speaks of the grace of God. Only by his undeserved favor have we ever been saved. And, lifted, and he lifted us up from the grave into glory along with Christ, where we sit with him in the heavenly realms, all because of what Christ Jesus did. And now, God can always point to us as examples of how very, very rich his kindness, his grace is, as shown in all he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Because of his kindness, because of his grace, you have been saved through trusting Christ. And even trusting is not of yourselves, it too is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Listen, salvation is not a reward for the good we have done. So none of us can take any credit for it. Can you say amen? amen. The grace of God is powerful. It's the undeserved goodness of God. God shows you his undeserved goodness by blessing you in ways that you do not deserve. God shows his undeserved goodness to you by helping you in ways that you do not deserve. God shows his undeserved goodness to you by forgiving you of your sins and bringing you to that place of acceptance in the family of God where you could not earn that in your own life, your own ways. 
and God's grace and goodness are shown to you by his undeserved gift of salvation and eternal life. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is God's undeserved goodness to you. I want us once again to thank God for his grace. Can you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this morning. Lord, we're grateful to you for the reminder today. Lord, hopefully more than a reminder for the opportunity to sit down at the table and to begin to partake, Lord, of your grace. And I pray this morning that you would remind us, Lord, of how undeserving we are, Lord, not to condemn us or to just sort of remind us of our misery and our pain and our sinfulness, but Lord, to understand the beauty of grace, that we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, there's nothing we can do to get it, but Lord, you've extended your goodness to us because you love us, because you are good. And I pray this morning that we will go through life with an awareness of your undeserved blessings and thankful for your undeserved help in our lives and appreciative, Lord God, for your undeserved forgiveness and your undeserved acceptance and Always very, very grateful and praising you because you've undeservedly given to us, Lord God. We've un we're undeserving. You've given us the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. So God, I pray that we begin to live in and be saturated with the beautiful grace of Almighty God. Lord, let this become very real in our lives in this ser series together. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.